Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, it's Blarin Balogun. Welcome to this edition of the Arsenal Audio Match Day Programme. Arsenal versus Aston Villa, Friday, 22nd of October 2021, kickoff 8 pm. The contents official voice around Arsenal, sustainability, player feature Callum Chambers, community voice, foundation voice, academy young gun, around the academy, history, Arsenal women. Visitors Aston Villa. Match action Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. Supporters voice and teams. Official voice Richard Garlic. Every issue we hear exclusively from significant figures at the club on our official voice pages of the programme. This issue, we hear from our Director of Football Operations, Richard Garlick, who joined the club earlier this year. I started work at Arsenal in May, so I was straight into the thick of the transfer window in my first couple of months here. Since then, it's been nice to have a bit of breathing space, and my day-to-day role has broadened across the club. While the transfer window was open, my job was virtually 100% supporting Edu, Mikel and Per around player acquisitions and sales, whether that was men's first team or academy, renewing contracts and finding solutions for players that we were selling or sending players out on loan. The first week I was here, I sat down with Mikel, Josh, Vinay, Tim Lewis and Edu and we went through the summer plan. Then it was straight into executing that plan. During that time, I was acting as the pivot between the legal and financial teams and the football side of the club. It was about taking the agreed plan and putting it into practice. I'm a qualified lawyer. I was in private practice for 10 years, then moved to West Brom, where I was their legal counsel and club secretary for four years, before my role evolved into a wider football role. So I understand how to convert a transfer plan on paper into one in reality from a financial and legal point of view. Typically, as the transfer deals progress further, that's when my involvement grows. We get to the point where we have contracts ready to sign that have been agreed by the board, the finance department and the legal department. Then they're presented to the player and his agent to complete the signing. 
From a personal point of view, I was pleased with how the window went. I think there were 57 transactions in total, including renewals, academy registrations and the transfers in and out. The first team plan was executed very well. I'd say 90-95% to of what we wanted to do got done. It was a difficult market, but we had a plan and we stuck to it. We've got a lot of good people behind the scenes at the club. They are very diligent, very professional, very hard-working, so it all came together well in the end. Since the windows shut, I've become more and more involved across other aspects of the club. In a nutshell, I'm here to support Edu, Mikel and the first team staff on a day-to-day basis. So that might mean helping with logistics in the international break and working with Gary O'Driscoll in getting players back from red-listed countries. Or it could be looking at the fixture calendar and how we work round the World Cup being in the middle of the season next year. It's anything concerning football operations or things that impact on players, rules and regulations and that sort of stuff. It's a mixed bag and obviously Arsenal is a big club with three different sites so it's been important for me to get across the club and meet people too. Now I've got a bit more time to build relationships and understand more about how things work at Arsenal and how I can bring my areas of expertise to help the club. I'm based at London Colney, but I try to get to the other sites as well. One of the things I was asked to do when I took on the role was act as an executive point of contact and support for the women's team as well. It's important that Claire Wheatley, the head of women's football, has someone on the exec team that she can speak to and bounce ideas off so I have executive oversight of the women's team as well. Women's football is growing, and we've invested quite heavily in the squad and staff this season. It's really exciting to see where the women's side of the game is going, and it's great that the club is looking to take Arsenal women forward with a clear purpose and vision. I'm also involved on the operations side for the academy. My office is opposite Per Mertesackers at London Colney, so we often talk about youth development. When I first joined, he talked me through his vision for the academy and how he wanted to move it forward. He wanted my support in executing that vision, pointing out what the challenges might be and helping him with the pro contracts for the younger players. This club has a really good track record of bringing players through, but that gets harder every year, so we're constantly looking at how we can evolve it. Part of that is being aware of any changes in regulations in the game, or new rules imposed by Brexit, the Premier League or the FA regarding the recruitment of young players both domestically and abroad. It has to be joined up with what's happening in the first team too, and you can see that with the players we brought in over the summer. They're all of a certain age and profile, and they all complement what we have coming through the academy. My role in all of that is supporting the strategic plan that's in place. After my eight years at West Brom, I spent a few years at the Premier League and academies were one of my responsibilities there, so I've seen it across the league and how different clubs operate. The ones that succeed are the ones with a clear DNA and a clear plan that they stick to. That's what Per is doing with the guys he's brought in. Kevin Betsy has come in as the under-23 coach, for example. And everybody is buying into the same philosophy. When everybody is on the same page like that, then you have every chance of it being successful. I'm there to support them and also bounce ideas off them because I don't believe there's a definitive playbook for success. It depends on your own circumstances and situation. Things like your location, your competitors, your facilities, your staff. 
Also, the way the first team operates can help, because here you see that Mikel gives plenty of opportunities to young players, and that's a huge advantage for us. Recruitment is obviously vital at youth level too. The move now is to invest at younger age groups, but you have to be flexible and add more senior players where we have a need. Which is what we did with Mika Biereth from Fulham in the summer. But long term, and a lot of clubs are doing this, you need to recruit at younger age groups because the statistics show many of the players who go on to become professionals have been at the same academy since they were eight or nine years old. Yes, you have some movement, but there's a very high number of players that have been on the same pathway through a club and had that stability in their football education. Having said that, you still need to be clever with your investment and recruitment at a slightly older level too. Arsenal have a good track record of doing that, and that will continue too. We're obviously between transfer windows at the moment, but an area that's ongoing is contract renewals, and we're always looking ahead at players who might be coming to the end of their deals, both in the near future, but also 18 months or two years down the line. This applies to the men's, women's and academy teams. I won't go into any names, but certainly I sit down with the board, Mikel, Edu, Per. Jonas and Claire and we discuss those players and what our plans are. We get a plan in place then we start to execute it. That's happening now for next summer and the one after that. It's a longer term view. We have a strategy for each player depending on their situation. As well as all the internal meetings and discussions I have at the club, a big part of the role is also speaking to external bodies such as the FA and Premier League. Depending on what the agenda is for the next Premier League meeting, I might go along with Vinay if it's football ops related. Obviously, I worked there for three years, so I know a lot of people at the Premier League and at the FA, which can be very helpful. For any football operation issues, the latest changes in VAR interpretation, fixture congestion, number of substitutes, things like that, I would have a conversation internally within the coaching team and can follow up on any queries with the Premier League or FA. Overall, it's been a busy few months since I started, but really rewarding too. I always wanted to get back into club football after working for the Premier League and obviously Arsenal is one of the great English clubs. When I got approached about this opportunity, I was really excited. I already knew a lot of the people here and it was simply one of those opportunities that don't present themselves that often. I felt it was a good time to be coming here. I know there have been a lot of changes over the past few years, but I saw it as an opportunity to make an impact, to help stabilise and move the club forward. There have been some challenges, of course, post-Covid, restructuring internally and so on. So a lot has been going on, but what I've found out so far is that there are a lot of good people at the club. A lot of talented people who all share the same vision of making this club a success and getting us back to where we were before, but also in a sustainable way. The ownership is very supportive as well. We have to be patient, of course, but I learned a long time ago in football that you can't get too low when things aren't going well, and you can't get too high when things are going well. It's so important to keep some perspective, not lose sight of your goal and how you want to achieve it. Keep your cool, stay level-headed and have focus. There have been plenty of challenges so far and I'm sure there will be more in the future. I think the big areas we are looking at right now are firstly fixture congestion. There are a lot of competitions vying for space and there are only so many weekends in a year. 
Then there is the welfare of the players generally, including mental health, concussion protocols and things like that. And finally, I'd say a big challenge the club faces is in terms of staying competitive. How do we stay fresh and relevant? How do we stay ahead of the rest? How do we continue to be innovative? Whether that's how we engage with supporters or how we recruit players, there's always a way to innovate and stay ahead of the curve. We need to keep moving forward, and that's crucial because if you stand still in football, you get left behind. Around Arsenal. Cut above the rest. Jimmy Pantaloo runs JNF Haircutters on Mount Grove Road in Highbury. It's been part of the Arsenal community for nearly 40 years, ever since his dad, Chris, opened the shop in 1983, the major appeal of the location being its proximity to Chris's beloved Highbury. Though Jimmy took over the running of the business from his dad in 2000, it's very much a family thing. Sister Flora also works there, hence J.N.F., and Dad's certainly not hung up the scissors yet either. The latest recipient of Arsenal's pair-up initiative, Jimmy couldn't believe it when the opportunity arose to get involved. I was asked by someone at the club if I might be interested in becoming a partnership like this, and of course I said yes, said Jimmy, whose red and white roots run deep. We're a big Arsenal family. My dad became a fan after seeing us in a friendly back in Cyprus in the mid-1960s. When he came over here, one of the first things he wanted to do was to come to Highbury and watch a game. Me and my brother had no choice. Growing up around Enfield in the early 80s, Tottenham were probably the better team around then, but we were 100% Arsenal. And it's paid off, you know. I joined the junior gunners with my cousin and was chosen as mascot for a game against Wimbledon on New Year's Day 1992, which was amazing. By the time Arsene Wenger arrived, me and my cousin Marlow were going all the time. Home and away. So many amazing memories. We were at Filbert Street when Dennis Bergkamp scored that hat-trick against Leicester. And the San Siro when we beat Inter Milan 5-1. Incredible times. Being part of the Arsenal community in Islington is something ardent supporter Jimmy is really proud of. Even though the club edged a bit further away when we went to Emirates, there's still a real Arsenal feel in the area, particularly now the Arsenal Tavern has reopened, which is a very good matchday pub that really helps with business. Like all businesses, though, we were hit pretty hard over the last 18 months and had to shut for a long period. For Arsenal to think of us is such a boost, not just for JNF, but I think all of the businesses in this area of N5, we can all benefit. I've loved seeing the adverts for the tolly and auto parts. It's such an amazing scheme. As for the day's filming to create the JNF Arsenal advert fans will see on the big screens and online, Jimmy loved every single bit of it. I've just seen the finished film for the advert, and I absolutely love it, he smiles. I was able to watch it with my 18-month-old boy, and he was shouting, Daddy! Daddy! It was brilliant. The day's filming was just amazing to be a part of. Loads of people descended on our little shop, including Emil, of course, 
and Michael Timsey, who were both great. Emil is just a really nice, chilled-out lad. I can't wait for my friends and customers to see the finished advert. They are going to love it. I'm so proud to be involved with the club I love, and so proud of what they are doing for businesses like us in their local community. All that remains for Jimmy is a special night enjoying club hospitality with his nearest and dearest. I was coming to tonight's game anyway, but the club told me that I could bring the whole family, so my mum and dad will be at the match. My brother Nick and sister Flora and her sons Andonis and Angelo, who are absolutely mad about Arsenal. And not forgetting my wife Anasta and my son Louis, it's going to be a brilliant night. To watch Emil visit JNF and learn more about the initiative, go to arsenal.com or follow at Arsenal on social media. Ref Watch Craig Pawson is our referee for tonight's match. The South Yorkshire official was in charge for the North London derby earlier this season. Last term we weren't so successful with Craig in charge, presiding over a 1-0 home defeat against Leicester, a 1-1 draw at Emirates with Fulham and a 2-1 defeat at Molyneux against Wolves when he sent off both David Lewis and Bernd Leno. Making an entrance. Supporters may have noticed there's a new look to the inner sanctum at Emirates Stadium. The players' tunnel and home dressing room areas have been refurbished, including input from Mikel Arteta, with a bold design to inspire the Arsenal players on match day. If you want to see it for yourself, remember the official stadium tour takes you through all of Emirates' most exclusive areas. Go to arsenal.com slash tours for more information. Emirates host Adidas City Runs Emirates Stadium played centre stage on Sunday as Adidas City Runs returned to the streets of London for the first time since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Delivered in partnership with the club and Islington Council, the innovative one-hour event saw thousands of runners race the clock as they were challenged to run as far as they could in 60 minutes on the one-mile looped course around our home ground. Once their time was up, runners entered the stadium to collect their hard-earned medal and post-race refreshments. A huge thank you to those who raised money for the Arsenal Foundation and congratulations to everyone who took part and made it such a special morning. Same game, different level. What is club level at Emirates Stadium? It's home to our platinum members who are here for every competitive men's first-team home game, including Premier League, Emirates FA Cup and League Cup matches. Each match day, our members watch the game from premium seats and enjoy complimentary half-time drink, official match day programme, seasonal access to our exclusive a la carte restaurant, the WM, with dining included for every match or season ticket only options for more traditional match day fare in our outstanding bars and restaurants, such as a pie and a pint, hot dogs, fish and chips and much more. New from this season is My Arsenal Rewards, our club rewards scheme which is exclusive to paid Arsenal members. For more info about Platinum Membership, contact the Premium Sales Team on 0345 262 0001 Option 2 Email 
club level at arsenal.co.uk or visit hospitality.arsenal.com. We had won seven of our nine Premier League games on a Friday before the beginning of last season, D2. Since then, however, the Gunners have lost each of our last two such fixtures at home to Everton 1-0 and away to Brentford 2-0 on the opening day this season. Let's get back to winning ways tonight. Statsports Statsports to help Arsenal track next generation. Arsenal fans around the world will have the opportunity to compare their athletic performance with our men's and women's players as part of our new partnership with Statsports, the world's leading company in GPS data. The launch of Statsports Arsenal FC edition means aspiring players can use the same technology as their footballing heroes, giving you the opportunity to compare performance data with our stars, from the academy to first team. The groundbreaking partnership, which sees Statsports become the official GPS performance tracker of Arsenal, will also enable us to access performance data from aspiring players from all levels of the game, helping us track the next generation of talent. The Statsports Arsenal FC edition is the same technology and blank pod our first teams use to capture data from every session, including distances covered, maximum speeds, intensity and fatigue levels. Aspiring players will now be able to review their own data against data from players at all levels of the club to help them understand where they need to improve. Fans Forum Representatives Elected The newly elected representatives on the Fans Forum joined their first meeting of the season on Monday, September 27th. The elected representatives, as voted by fellow supporters, are Women's Group, Linda Duffy, Gold Members Group, Darren Epstein, Over 60s Group, Richard Stubbs, 16-21 Group, Liam Patel. Thank you to everyone who took time to put themselves forward or vote in the election. We welcome the new representatives to the Fans Forum and look forward to a productive season working together. Wishing you well, Dan. Everyone at Arsenal was deeply concerned to hear the news that our former academy goalkeeper, Dan Barden, is having to take some time away from the game as he receives treatment for testicular cancer. Dan was part of the Arsenal Academy for 10 years until leaving for Norwich City in January 2019. Most recently, he has been on loan at Livingston in the Scottish Premier League. Dan said, The initial diagnosis was a real shock for me, said the 20-year-old from Finchley, but the positive thing is that we've caught it early and the prognosis and next steps have all been positive. I'm optimistic and have a positive mindset. I'm confident that I'll be able to beat it and that I'll be back out there doing what I love soon. I'd like to thank everyone around me for their support. I know that the coming period will be challenging and would ask for privacy for me and my family at this stage. Where possible, I'll do what I can to update on my progress. All your friends at Arsenal are there for you, Dan. Each of the last nine Premier League meetings between Arsenal and Aston Villa at the Emirates has seen at least three goals scored. Notice Board 
Happy 14th birthday, Spencer Story, from everyone at Arsenal Football Club. Happy 15th birthday to our wonderful daughter, Lali Essim. Hope you enjoy the game. Let's bring home the three points. Love Mum, Dad, Elif and Talon. Happy 16th birthday, Daniel Stevens. Have a wonderful day. Love from all the family. Paul Ward, happy 50th birthday to Chelsea's number one gooner. Love Mum, Dad, Mary and Louise. Happy 13th birthday to our son, Ronnie Goggin. Have a fantastic day. We love you so much. Love, Mummy and Daddy. Happy 13th birthday, Luke Blackman. Hope you enjoyed your first match at Arsenal. Happy birthday to Toby Hope, who will be 21, and to John Hope, who will be 58. Totalizer, £265. Email noticeboard at arsenal.co.uk if you would like a message for a small donation to the AFC Foundation placed in the programme. Arsenal remembers. Jamie and Bernadette Freeman were looking forward to the arrival of their first-born son. Sadly, Kieran was born sleeping on September the 27th, 2021. He was named after Kieran Tierney. Kieran Freeman, forever in our hearts. Guna forever. Frank McNeese. Frank was a lifelong supporter of Arsenal and father to Alan, one of the founding members of the first Belfast Arsenal Supporters Club. Archie Ban, a faithful and long-time member of the first Belfast Arsenal Supporters Club, a very popular member of the club who will be sadly missed. Fixture Changes Six of our Premier League matches have been rescheduled for TV coverage. Manchester United vs Arsenal Thursday, December the 2nd, originally Tuesday, November the 30th. Kick-off 8.15pm, live on Amazon Prime Video. Everton vs Arsenal, Monday, December the 6th, originally Saturday, December the 4th. Kick-off 8pm, live on Sky Sports. Arsenal vs West Ham United, Wednesday, December the 15th, originally Tuesday, December the 14th. Kick-off 8pm, live on BT Sport. Leeds United vs Arsenal, Saturday, December the 18th. Kick-off 5.30pm, originally 3pm. Live on Sky Sports. Arsenal vs Wolverhampton Wanderers, Tuesday, December the 28th. Kick-off 12.30pm, originally 3pm. Live on Amazon Prime Video. Arsenal vs Manchester City, Saturday, January the 1st, 2022. Kick-off, 12.30pm, originally 3pm. Live on BT Sport. The TV selections had now been made, up to and including January the 3rd, 2022. Eddie Hapgood, honoured. On September the 23rd, the Royal Leamington Spa Blue Plaques Group unveiled a new plaque in memory of Eddie Hapgood, one of Arsenal's and England's greatest captains. Eddie retired to Leamington Spa after a career which saw him play 440 games for the Gunners, winning five league titles and two FA Cups, despite his career being cut short at the age of 30 by World War II. Apart from his leadership skills, he was a fine footballer in the days of uncompromising defenders, 
In the most part, he preferred to rely on skill and speed to outwit his opponents. A man of principle, he refused to give the fascist salute when England played Germany and Italy on pre-war tours until he was forced to back down by the football authorities. Arsenal were represented at the event by David Miles, retired club secretary, Andy Exley, managing editor of publications, and Mark Brindle, supporter liaison officer. It was attended by around a hundred people, including three generations of Hapgoods. Eddie's daughter Lynn and grandson Jacob are both season ticket holders at the Emirates, and the whole family are rightfully proud of his contribution to the history of the Arsenal. In his 23-minute appearance against Crystal Palace last time out, Alexandre Lacazette had more shots on target, two, and created more chances, two, than any other Arsenal player in the match. The Frenchman is averaging a goal or assist every 46 minutes in all competitions this season, three goals, one assist, 185 minutes played. An audience with Arsene Wenger and David Dine. Have you got plans for Monday, November the 8th? Well, if not, why not head down to the London Palladium to take in an audience with two men instrumental in creating modern-day Arsenal, Arsene Wenger and David Dine? The one-off event, which will take place in aid of the Twinning Project charity, will see the pair discuss their time with us, the wider state of football today, and where they see the game going in the future. For more information, visit https colon slash slash lwtheatres.co.uk slash what's hyphen on slash an hyphen audience hyphen with hyphen arson hyphen venger hyphen and hyphen david hyphen dine slash Elsie stars in the programme for the Norwich game last month Junior Gunner Elsie became the cover star of her very own personalised Arsenal matchday programme. This very special experience, which also saw Elsie appear in the squad list on the back of the programme, was thanks to her dad, Owen, and our new programme for members, My Arsenal Rewards. By redeeming his My Arsenal Rewards points, Owen was helped by the Arsenal editorial team to make sure everything was perfect for Elsie's programme debut. If you're an Arsenal member, head over to the My Arsenal Rewards Hub to find out how you or someone special could receive their very own personalised Arsenal programme for the next game. Not a member? Head to arsenal.com slash membership for more information on how to join. Ticket News Home, Arsenal vs Leeds United, Carabao Cup Round 4, Tuesday, October 26th, kick-off 7.45pm. Platinum members, your membership cards will be valid for this fixture. Gold members, season cards are not valid for this match. Therefore, should you wish to attend the match, you will need to purchase a seat in the stadium. Tickets are only available to supporters with a previous booking history before 9.45pm on Wednesday, September 22nd only. We have made this decision following consultation with the police and to ensure we are in line with crowd segregation requirements and we do apologise for any inconvenience this causes. Please visit 
www.arsenal.com tickets for up-to-date ticket information regarding this fixture. Arsenal vs Watford Premier League Sunday, November the 7th, kick-off 2pm, live on Sky Sports. This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are currently on sale to Silver, Purple, Red, Cannon and Junior Gunner members. Arsenal vs Newcastle United Premier League Saturday, November the 27th, kick-off 12.30, live on BT Sport. This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to Silver, Purple, Red, Cannon and Junior Gunner members only. Arsenal vs Southampton, Premier League, Saturday, December the 11th, kick-off 3pm. This is a Category C fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 200 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to Silver, Purple, Cannon and Junior Gunner members only. An allocation of tickets will go on sale to Red members at 10am on Monday, October the 25th. Arsenal vs West Ham United, Premier League, Wednesday, December the 15th, kick-off 8pm. This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to all current Silver, Purple, Cannon and Junior Gunner members only. An allocation of tickets will go on sale to Red members at 10am on Thursday, October the 28th. Away, Leicester City vs Arsenal, King Power Stadium, Premier League, Saturday, October the 30th, kick-off 12.30pm, live on BT Sports. This fixture is now sold out. The fixture sold out to Platinum Gold and current Travel Club members with 5-plus away points. Liverpool vs Arsenal, Anfield, Premier League, Saturday, November the 20th, kick-off 5.30pm, live on Sky Sports. Please visit www.arsenal.com slash tickets on arsenal.com for up-to-date ticket information regarding this fixture. Sustainability. Red, white and green. Sustainability focus. Arsenal Football Club has a vision to lead the sporting community in a quest to a more sustainable future, and the Match Day programme is taking the lead. Working with Carbon Link in Kenya, this season's issue is offsetting the emissions generated during the programme production process, creating the Arsenal Forest in Africa. The programme is also sponsoring small environmental projects around the club, as well as encouraging young fans and staff members to tell us about their green credentials. We are also highlighting our printer's environmental efforts. In addition, the programme will also showcase significant club-wide projects being undertaken as part of our drive to greater sustainability. Bishop's Backing Arsenal's programme print partner, Bishop's Printers, are one of the most environmentally conscious printers in the UK. 
Here we highlight their sustainability credentials. The program is produced by an ISO 14001 certified printer. That means their management of environmental issues is regularly, independently audited. This globally recognized certification helps bishops maintain and improve their environmental performance through more efficient use of resources and the reduction of waste. Green Gain by Game In Monday night's Crystal Palace program, we committed to positioning a bug hotel in a secluded area on the outside of the stadium, and we've decided to make that two. Ecosystems are nothing without their billions, literally, of insects. And as the weather turns colder, some of these crucial little critters will need to bed down until the spring. So that's two green game bug hotels courtesy of the Match Day program. Every little insect helps. Remember the Neem To offset the carbon consumption of the production of the Match Day program, we are working with not-for-profit reforestation organisation Carbon Link, who have estimated we need to plant 12,500 trees, each absorbing 20 kilograms of carbon dioxide over the next 10 years. The Arsenal Forest is being populated predominantly by neem trees, or Azadiracta indica. For those who like a Latin name, it's also known as Indian lilac. The great advantage of using neem is that they can cope with extended periods of drought, which are becoming more common in East Africa, and when closely planted and mature, their dense canopy provides shade and good protection from the heat of the equatorial sun. Neem are not the fastest growing trees, but their timber is durable, resistant to termite attack, which is a big problem in the tropics, and is very valuable. One tree can convert into timber worth £120 on harvest, which is enough to put one secondary school child through education for a year in Kenya. We are committed to putting in a minimum of 12,500 trees and have already had lots of supporters chipping in and buying trees too. So, in the long term, apart from compensating for the lumber used to print this programme, we should be helping a lot of children in the region get a decent education too. Grow your own. Carbon Link have already received a number of orders for trees from supporters wishing to add to the Arsenal Forest. Thanks so much for getting involved in this exciting project. We want to expand our 12.5 acre area to make our forests as big as possible. There are three options to purchase trees. For 25 trees, it's £25. For 50 trees, it's £50. And for 100 trees, it's £100. If you are concerned about your own carbon footprint, this is an excellent way of making a small, sustainable step in the right direction, and also doing it in the name of the club you love. And what an excellent gift for an Arsenal fan in your life. Go to www.carbonlink.org forward slash the dash arsenal dash forest dash in dash Africa. For more info and details of how to be part of our forest. Program Upcycling Scheme 
Any programs that we don't sell have traditionally been offered to our community projects as valuable resources. However, we would be more than happy to let supporters get involved in this upcycling if they have a charity, school or community venture that could benefit from old issues and have the means to be able to collect them from the stadium. Please drop us an email to program at arsenal.co.uk outlining where and why you would like to use the old programmes and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Pablo. How our Spanish defender has got involved with the Arsenal Forest. On these pages, we've been encouraging staff to let us know about the changes they've made in their day-to-day life from a sustainability standpoint. And we've also been highlighting how fans can add their own trees to the 12,500 Arsenal Forest we are planting through the Match Day programme. Well, one member of staff has linked the two to certainly go above and beyond environmentally this month. Central defender Pablo Mari is a keen reader of the matchday programme, as we are sure all of the first-team squad are. Anyway, when Pablo was flicking through the issue this season, the sustainability section really made him sit up and take notice. The Spaniard is committed to living his life more sustainably and loved the idea of the matchday programme going carbon neutral for season 2021-22. He wanted to get involved and also raise awareness of our project in Kenya, so came up with the idea of agreeing to buy 500 trees if a tweet mentioning the scheme received 500 retweets. After posting his tweet, we watched nervously to see if enough people would engage with his post. But we needn't have been concerned. The Arsenal fan base were very much on board, and last time we looked, Pablo's tweet had been retweeted 3,200 times, with 6,100 people liking the post too. Having spoken to our friends at Carbon Link, Pablo's tweet obviously mobilised more supporters into buying their own batch of trees to expand our Arsenal forest. And we'd like to thank Pablo for buying the trees and raising awareness, and of course, any supporters who thought they'd join him in the venture. Player Feature Callum Chambers, Fanzone. Arsenal players discuss the influence and inspiration provided by you, the fans. As one of the longest serving members of the squad, Callum Chambers has experienced plenty of highs and lows with the Arsenal fanbase. The matchday programme spoke to the defender about the best atmospheres he's known, as both a player and a fan himself. Ever since he was 17, Callum Chambers has been playing top-level football in front of paying crowds. A member of the Southampton Academy from the age of seven, he was soon making waves in the youth setup, progressing year on year to become an England youth international. Then makes his Saints first-team debut aged 17 in 2012 in the Capital One Cup away to Stevenage. But it was the following season, in fact the opening day of the 2013-14 campaign, that his career really began to take off. Named in the starting eleven for Southampton's trip to the Hawthorns, Callum played the full 90 minutes at right-back, helping his side to a 1-0 win, 
and impressing enough to keep his place and become a regular for the rest of the season. He's not looked back since. That breakthrough season was enough to convince Arsene Wenger to bring the teenager to Arsenal in summer 2014. And just a month after making his gunner's bow at Wembley in the 3-0 Community Shield win over Manchester City, he was back at the National Stadium to make his England debut against Norway. So it was a completely new experience for Callum this summer, when he found himself as part of the crowd again, rather than performing in front of one. The defender was at Wembley as a fan for England's Euro 2020 clash against Denmark, the country's first appearance in a tournament semi-final on home soil since Euro 96, when Callum was just one. Obviously, I don't get to go to as many games as a fan anymore, he begins. The last one I went to watch live was the semi-final of the Euros in the summer at Wembley. And to be fair, it's one of the best games I've ever been to. Honestly, it was just unbelievable. What a game to go to live. I went with my mum and stepdad and it was just a brilliant day. That's part of the game we don't usually see. And when you play, you don't really see the atmosphere, the build-up, the fans outside the stadium and everything that surrounds the actual 90 minutes. It was great to see that again and be part of it all. The real fan experience. A sense of optimism had swept through the nation by the time Gareth Southgate's side met Denmark in the last four in early July, as the team looked to reach a first major final since 1966. And for Callum, being part of the excitement from the other side was a memorable experience. I got the tube into the stadium and walked up Wembley Way with all the fans, he continues. Then into the stadium, with thousands and thousands of fans all singing songs. It was amazing. It really took me back to being a kid again. It made me appreciate all of that atmosphere and the love for the game again. From a fan's point of view, turning up for a game and being involved in everything in the crowd on a match day is so different to what we see as players normally. It was a really good experience. I loved it. The emotions are obviously very different to when you were playing, he adds. It's out of your hands, so you watch the game, knowing that you won't have to come on. It's much more relaxing. You can enjoy it more. But if you're watching a game from the bench, then you are obviously much more focused. It's a very different feeling. You've got to be ready if needed. So you are not watching as a fan at all. When you're in the stand, it's a totally different feeling. You can enjoy and take in the other aspects of the game. The crowd, the songs. Stuff you don't focus on when you're playing. That whole experience was a great night. And of course, when England scored the winner in extra time as well, It was great to be there. Great to be there watching, but nothing, he says, compares to actually performing in a huge arena with a massive atmosphere. When asked what's the best atmosphere he's ever played in, one game immediately springs to mind. The first one I think of is the AC Milan away game, he grins, recalling our Europa League round of 16 first leg match in 2018. That was just incredible. The atmosphere there was just crazy. It's actually a different type of noise even. It's hard to explain, but when you go abroad and play in the Champions League or Europa League, as that one was, it's a different sound. When they cheer or when there's a goal, it's just a different kind of noise that we get over here, if that makes sense. But yeah, that one in the San Siro was great. I can remember even in the warm-up before, we were all looking at each other on the pitch and taking it all in and thinking, this is insane, this is so good. Callum and his teammates were certainly inspired by the occasion on that day. 
Arsenal ran out 2-0 winners to all but secure our place in the quarterfinals before returning to London. There were more than 70,000 inside the famous San Siro that night and that atmosphere has been known to intimidate many an opposition in European competitions. Callum though, now aged 26, says he's learnt to harness the presence of a crowd in a positive way over the years. I don't find it intimidating. For me, I love it, he insists. In fact, I struggled more last year when there were no fans. I was injured for a lot of the lockdown games, but when I came back, I played in a few behind-closed-doors games, and to be honest, I hated it. I think most of the boys were used to it by then, but for me, it didn't have that same feel, that same edge as you do on a normal game day with a full stadium. I get a buzz from the crowd. I work with that energy that they have, and that can be home or away. From the home fans, the energy you get is positive. But even in away games, when there's booing and stuff, I've learned how to channel that and use that to my advantage. So much so that I love it now. Playing in front of a loud crowd, a huge atmosphere. You can't beat it. The former Southampton youngster concedes it wasn't always the case and that learning to deal with opposition crowds is part of your footballing education. He continues, Did it used to intimidate me? Yes, definitely at times. When I was first coming through at Southampton, my first year in the first team, I remember going to away games and there were a few times when I was thinking, this is quite intimidating. The only thing you can do though is get used to it and after a few games, you can deal with it easier. I learned how to feed off it instead and channel it in a positive way. I think it was because of some of the games I would turn up and think, wow, I've watched loads of games at this stadium and on TV, and now I'm playing here. It can take a while to get your head around. To be honest though, it's pretty cool when you do step into a big stadium and play there. That's what you need to realise, and as soon as you do, it becomes easier. So, can Callum remember the first time he ever played in front of a paying public? Yeah, I can. I think the first ever experience I've had of it was the FA Youth Cup away for Southampton. But it was a very, very small crowd. It didn't matter to me though, because it was at a proper stadium. A small one, but at the time it really felt massive for me. There was a crowd in to watch us for some of the youth games and that helps to get you used to it before you turn pro. Then my first game for the first team in the Premier League was West Brom away for Southampton. That stands out because that was the first real big atmosphere I'd played in. The first really big crowd and I can feel the tension, the energy. A big away game. We won 1-0 as well, so it was a really good first experience for me. It was massive for me, my first game in the Premier League. I played the whole game. Did well, we won 1-0. So it was a feeling of, wow, I can do this. I think you always have those questions of yourself in your head before you play at a level or before you play in front of a crowd. A question of, what's it going to be like? How am I going to do? How will I react? So after that game, it was a big sense of, yes, I can do this. I love that first taste of it and have done ever since. That passion for the game and the big occasion has continued to grow, but it's all about being on the action side of the touchline now. Despite his experience watching England at the Euros in the summer, Callum says that was just a temporary departure from the usual routine. As a professional footballer, he believes we'll never be able to truly immerse himself in being a fan. It's not easy to do that. I watch football because I watch our games back, and I don't watch programmes like Mash of the Day or anything like that. 
To be honest, I'm just fully focused on Arsenal and the results here to be a football fan the rest of the time. You're a fan of the team you play for, basically. And that's it. It was a bit easier after my year at Fulham to follow them because I looked for their results because they weren't in the same division as us. So it didn't have an effect on stuff at Arsenal. So I could follow their scores like a fan, if you like, and what they were doing because it's not against us. So I find myself doing that a lot still. How about everything else that goes with supporting a club? The transfer speculation, discussing the rumours and so on. (laughs) Haha, I have plenty of mates who are very on it when it comes to transfers and that sort of thing, he laughs. But when you are involved in it, you'd much rather stay out of it all. Of course, there are always rumours flying about. But no, I'm not into that side. It's easier to keep your head down, keep working hard and keep your focus on the important stuff. Obviously, some transfers are quite exciting and pretty cool to see when the big player moves, but the rest of it doesn't interest me. It's clear that it's match day that truly interests Callum, and having seen both sides of it, he's determined to enjoy them even more. Community Voice Arsenal in the community engages more than 5,000 participants every week. Each issue we hear about one of our projects from their perspective. Thomas is a 14-year-old from North London who is a keen participant in the Premier League Football Plus programme. The first session I went to, everyone was very welcoming towards me and helped me get started. Having friends there already made me feel comfortable in taking part in the discussions and activities. This also helped me to get to know other people easier. Recently, me and my fellow teammates were invited down to watch the famous North London derby, which was one of the most exciting Arsenal games I've ever been to. And it was also a great team bonding activity, as we were able to speak to each other off the pitch. We have also been invited to many workshops at the Arsenal Hub, which included learning new skills, including cooking with Jeff, the chef, and learning about online safety. This was a really good experience as we're doing new things with each other, which wasn't just football. I have a very good friendship with all of my teammates, which also helps me on the pitch when I'm linking up with them, or off the pitch when I'm just having a chat. These friendships are very important as it makes me feel much more comfortable when attending training sessions, as I'm sure it does with my teammates too. All of the staff I've worked with have been very kind and helped me on and off the pitch. They improved me as a player a lot, with them doing one-to-one stuff during the session or training us as a team. It has improved me as a player, taking my football to the next level but it has also improved me as a person, whether that is at school, with my family or with my friends. I have learnt to treat them in a positive way. I have learnt many different skills during my time at Arsenal Football Plus, but the main skill that I have learnt is just to be respectful to others and treat them how yourself would want to be treated. The thing that surprised me the most about Football Plus is the amount of other opportunities that open up for you. If you had the opportunity to join something like this, I would say to snatch that chance because it brings on so many other opportunities for you and it helps you massively in developing new skills and also as a person. Arsenal in the community has helped me develop as a person. 
I have made so many friends and really enjoy learning from my coaches. Respect isn't just a word on a shirt, it's something we can learn from every day. For more information on football development programmes, contact James Warnock at jwarnock at arsenal.co.uk. Foundation Voice. The work of the Arsenal Foundation and the partners and initiatives it supports have touched the lives of a great number of people in a variety of ways. The Arsenal Foundation's Emergency Covid Fund has helped Caxton House Community Centre support those in need during the pandemic. Sue Collins tells us how the money helped. I first became involved with Caxton House when my eldest joined the nursery in 1992. I had a succession of voluntary roles, from parent rep to charity trustee, before joining the staff in 2007. My official title is finance and office manager, but, as anyone who works for a charity will know, we all need to be prepared to take on any role or task that comes up, and I wear many hats each week. The funding we received from the Arsenal Foundation helped us to support our local community with a range of care, food and crafts parcels. Very soon after the first lockdown was announced, we were very aware of the immediate need for support as people faced a range of problems along with high levels of fear and anxiety as the pandemic spread and services closed. By the summer of 2020, we were distributing around 120 food parcels each week, along with more than 300 pre-cooked meals and 50 crafts kits. Prior to the first lockdown, we weren't part of a food distribution service, but had a wide range of services and activities running from the centre. Covid arrived and shut down almost all of our face-to-face services, so we had to adapt quickly to be able to continue supporting residents as demand increased by the week. From feedback, we were aware that demand remained high last summer, but as lockdown eased and people began to venture back out, the type of support people needed changed, and we also increased our befriending calls. Also, So many different groups in Islington did a fantastic job to increase the support available and we were able to signpost residents to other local services. The grant from the Arsenal Foundation helped us to support a large number of residents. Most of the food and care parcels were delivered directly to people's homes and I was very proud of the number of residents who were keeping an eye on their neighbours and passing on the names of those they believed would welcome our support. We were also impressed with the number of volunteers who came forward to help with deliveries, including groups of young volunteers from Arsenal. Football clubs, like community centres, are a focal point for local residents and are at the heart of their local communities. We believe they have an important role to play in supporting their local area with a range of initiatives. We've worked with Arsenal in the community for many years across a number of areas, including funding, supporting our bowl sessions, penalty shootouts and a visit from Gunnosaurus at our summer festival each year. A big thank you, and we look forward to working with you in the future. Academy, Young Gun, Bradley Ibrahim. The basics. Name, Bradley Ibrahim. Born, 
21st of October 2004. Joined 20th of September 2017. Position, midfielder. Boots, Adidas Predators. Football has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I've still got this amazing memory of my mum taking me down to our local goal centre when I was only four years old. But I wasn't wearing any football kit or anything like that. Oh no, I was wearing a pair of jeans and Timberlands. My first touch must have been horrible. She asked the coach if I could join in. I did, and it feels like I've had a ball at my feet ever since. Funnily enough, Brentford scouted me that day, and the coach who spotted me is now working here at Arsenal. It's crazy how things work out. My family were always really encouraging in terms of getting me involved in football and activities, but to be honest, I've always been football mad. Whether it was seeing Premier League games on TV or spotting some kids having a kickabout on the street, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to be involved. Football just seemed to come naturally to me, and that's something my PE teacher spotted very early on. I must have only been five years old at the time, but he thought I had something about me, and it wasn't long before I had a few clubs inviting me on trials. It's around this age that most kids will join a Saturday or Sunday team, but I completely skipped that stage and started floating around at the likes of Tottenham, Crystal Palace and Chelsea before joining QPR because they were the closest to my house. I was basically at the pre-academy for the pre-academy. Back then I would honestly play in every and any position. I just loved it. Centre-back, centre-forward, winger. I would play anywhere I was asked to play. I've been everywhere and I think that's really helped me in terms of my development as a player. I faced a difficult moment when I was 13 and QPR told me that they were going to release me. But deep down, I knew that I would be okay and persevere. I was released at the end of the season and spent all summer working hard to get fitter, faster and stronger. I was briefly playing for a Sunday team at the time and after playing in one of those little six-a-side summer tournaments, that's when I got the call from Arsenal. You know what? I can still remember how I felt that day. You've got to remember that I grew up supporting Arsenal too, so it meant so much to me. I was shocked more than anything else. The scouts had been watching me for a long while, so to finally find out they wanted me was amazing. I've still got the photo of my first day at Hale End. Those memories are hard to forget, and it's obviously a really proud day for the family too. I always used to tell my family that one day I'm going to play for Arsenal, but to actually get the opportunity and chance to represent this club, it's an unbelievable feeling, and I still have to remind myself just how fortunate I am. I've got a long way to get to where I want to be, but I'm proud of what I've achieved so far. When I first joined Arsenal, I've got to admit, I wasn't anywhere near the standard of the other Arsenal boys. Technically, they were so much better than me, and looked so much silkier on the ball. But over time, I gradually closed that gap, and I must be doing something right because I'm still here now. Growing up, Arsenal were always the best team at academy level. They were always the team to beat. I remember losing 9-0 against them when I was at QPR, so it was a nice feeling to know that those thrashings were finally over and I could join in on the other side. I've come a long way since then, and making my debut for the under-18s last season at just 16 was a big step in my development and progress. I was able to mark it with an assist at a really important moment in the game too, so that was pretty special. It was even better that I set up Amani Richards for his first goal as well. 
If I had to describe my style of play, I would say that I'm a dynamic deep midfielder or box-to-box midfielder. I can play either, really. I love to win the ball back with little interceptions and timely tackles, and I really enjoy driving up the pitch and progressing play too. I haven't quite shown it yet at under-18 level, but I think I'm a good goal threat as well. As for my goals for the rest of the season, I had a brief experience of under-23s football back in July, so I'd love to get some more opportunities there and also make myself a regular starter at under-18 level too. I'd love to train with the first team as well. That would be amazing. I feel like I've got plenty more to give, so I'm looking forward to showing it if I'm trusted in the right moments. Around the Academy. Flores on form for under-18s. After a blistering start to the 2021-22 season, our under-18s and under-23s were tested last week and will be hoping to get back to winning ways against Leicester City Saturday and Everton tonight. Dan Michike's under-18s were frustratingly held to a two-all draw with Burnley in the Premier League Cup last Saturday. Despite taking the lead twice, Marcelo Flores delivered an impressive individual performance at London Colney and opened the scoring from the penalty spot. But the visitors equalised shortly after the break, with Will Hugill pouncing on the lapsing concentration to fire home at the near post. We continue to push forward though, dominating possession and forcing Burnley to defend deep inside their own half. And after some fine footwork inside the penalty area, Charles Sago Jr. saw his deflected cross slip between the keeper's legs and into the back of the net. It was no less than we deserved for our positive attacking display, but late on we were pegged back once again as Tremaine Eastman latched onto a delivery at the far post to salvage a share of the spoils. Our under-18s remain unbeaten under the guidance of Michike, but with two draws from two Premier League Cup fixtures, our youngsters will be desperate for all three points when they face Everton in the final group stage fixture next month. As for our under-23s, they slipped to their first defeat since the opening game of the season last Saturday as they were beaten 3-0 by Liverpool at Anfield. Following a busy international break, a number of key players were back in the starting eleven, most notably Mika Bereth and Florin Balogun. But we were unable to find a way through against the home side. Liverpool started with an impressive intensity to their play and carved out some promising chances before Amari Hutchinson and Salah Eddin saw their first-half efforts saved by Harvey Davis. Liverpool then went on to take the lead shortly after the restart, with Matus Mizalowski firing beyond the reach of Arthur Okonkwo. Charlie Patina was subbed on in the hope of regaining control of the midfield, but not before Paul Getzel doubled Liverpool's advantage with an impressive solo goal. The hosts deserved their lead, and soon after it was three, as James Norris dispossessed Tim Akinola and Julie found the back of the net ending our six-game unbeaten run in the Premier League 2. Henry Francis goes pro. Jack Henry Francis has signed his first professional contract. The 18-year-old midfielder is a product of our Hayland Academy, having developed through our club ranks to reach our under-23s team. The Republic of Ireland Youth International made his non-competitive debut for the first team in our friendly against SPL side Hibernian in July 2021. Last season, Jack made 15 appearances for our under-18 side with one goal and three assists and was involved in the FA Youth Cup, 
Congratulations, Jack. We look forward to your continued development. Sago Jr. steps up. Charles Sago Jr. has enjoyed a promising start to the 2021-22 season, proving his worth at all levels for our youth side. A silky, skillful winger, Sago Jr. has two goals in just five league appearances for the under-18s team. In addition to scoring after just three minutes on his debut in the EFL Trophy, that proved to be a vital goal in our under-21s too, securing all three points deep in stoppage time for our first group stage victory of the season. At just 16 years of age, Sago Jr. finished last season with just five league appearances, but he's now being rewarded for his patience and hard work. The youngster has shown an impressive understanding with striker Keon Edwards this season, combining dangerous in the final third for Dan Michiki's side. Kozia Dubry stars. Amario Kozia Dubry was on top form for England under-17s last week, as he scored the fifth during a 7-0 victory over Armenia. This marked the Young Lions' first group stage qualifying fixture for the 2022 European Championships, and our young forward made almost an instant impact off the bench. Leading by four goals in the 68th minute, Kozia Dubry was introduced in attack and less than 10 minutes later put his name on the score sheet, latching onto a searching delivery with a darting run and heading home at the far post. The youngster has been in impressive form for our under-18s this season, scoring four and assisting two in just five league appearances this season. Keep up the good work, Mario. The Coming Football Invasion Islington Daily Gazette, 1913 Between March and September 1913, a significant number of Islington residents opposed the coming of Woolwich Arsenal. Although the pages of the Islington Daily Gazette and North London Tribune from that era reveal stories of drunkenness, street brawls, traffic accidents and lead thefts from church roofs, Throughout spring and early summer, the growing number of stories about the coming football invasion appeared to occupy the thoughts of a good many locals. The Highbury Defence League was formed in mid-March. Councillor P.E. Inglis of Highbury was urged by others who attended that opening meeting on March 17th to try and do something to try and avert the calamity that would come upon the neighbourhood if the football club came into its midst. Inglis, who was elected chairman of the group, claimed that property in the borough would depreciate by between 25 to 50 percent and that the best class of resident will leave. A general theme coursing through the pages of the Gazette was the battle to preserve traditional values within the borough. There were arguments about decadent dancing in local halls, the lack of religious instruction within schools, the ever increasing hubbub of traffic on roads throughout the borough the lack of affordable housing in the area, loud gramophones disturbing the peace, and, most intriguingly, ongoing debates as to whether residents should remove cockerels from their gardens because people should now awake to the sound of the alarm clock, not the chicken. Football was already heavily linked with a more secular, almost ungodly lifestyle in the borough. In two separate incidents, two groups of boys were fined for playing football and swearing in the street on a Sunday. Benjamin Bradley of London Fields was fined £50 for running an illegal football betting house 
and a brawl occurred after supporters of Tufnell Park got drunk on a pub crawl following their team's victory in an amateur league game. The letters to the Gazette in connection with Woolwich Arsenal's impending arrival reflected the residents' fears about a huge increase in such sinful activities. Highbury Hill resident T.E. Naylor, a member of the Defence Committee, was the first to protest about the gambling problem, writing, I object to this right being exercised on my doorstep, and on such a scale and in such a way to be a nuisance, if not an actual menace to my family. Yet the response which the group received from the Dean of Canterbury, who was president of the local council which controlled the affairs of St John's College, where Highbury Stadium was being built, made it clear that he would not personally intervene. To suggest that there was a general sense of doom at Woolwich Arsenal's arrival amongst all residents would be an exaggeration, however. A raft of small shopkeepers and publicans appeared to strongly favour the move. Letters certainly reflected a sense of optimism from some local residents. Donald Sutton wrote, Many people would visit Highbury for the first time and would be so delighted with the pleasant neighbourhood that they would come and live here, and this will fill up many of the unoccupied premises. Members of the Highbury Defence Committee are described in various letters as scaremongers, busybodies, do-gooders. One of the letters concludes, I think it would bring money into the neighbourhood if Woolwich team came to Highbury. Another letter sent by the Inquirer asks, Is it not a fact that certain members of the Islington Council who are so much against Woolwich Arsenal coming to Highbury, hold shares and are ardent supporters of the Spurs. Are they afraid that the dividends will decrease? A final anonymous letter, focusing on the economic benefits of the move, points out that the club would hire around 300 men during the building period. Well-informed correspondence indeed. Highbury Arsenal, as one local resident described the new club, kicked off with a 2-1 victory over Leicester Foss at its new ground on September 6, 1913. A few days later, the Gazette's intrepid reporter Candid Critic found Arsenal chairman, the formidable pince-nez-wearing Sir Henry Norris, at his most truculent when he encountered him at the new ground, which wasn't completely finished. Candid Critic was fond of penning poetry, and after a win against Leicester Foss, he wrote a verse in the Gazette which went, We're only second-leaguers, can Chelsea really jeer? At one time, late last April, the bottom they were near. But with our faults admitted, we still remain the Reds. Although we've quitted Woolwich, we're not among the deads. Interviewing Norris, however, was a rather more daunting prospect. After arriving at the gates, no one was there to greet the candid critic so he wandered around until he stumbled across Norris and the site foreman wolfing down rock cakes and drinking tea. Amidst a backdrop of hammering and crashing, Norris espoused his beliefs to candid critic, omitting, I don't personally believe in big transfer fees, a view which coloured the club's transfer dealings for the next decade. Norris headed off controversy about the move to Highbury by claiming that manager Norrell had received quite a big bundle of letters from residents who state that the coming of the club has been anything but a nuisance and talked up the benefits of his club's new home claiming that in due course the new ground will hold some 90,000. Although new to the role, candid critic did his level best to push hard and get Norris to say more, but after Norris insisted that the journalist was quite capable of judging as to whether the team was strong enough, 
I should tell you if it wasn't, huffed Norris, he was whisked away in a fast car. The journalist's observations that Norris threw back his shoulders with the determined air of a man who is always doing big things and not over-fond of being asked to talk about them was consistent with the general view of Norris as a figure who kept his cards close to his chest. But regardless of Norris's reluctance to speak to the press or some locals taking umbrage with the move, the football invasion had happened and Arsenal were most definitely here to stay. Arsenal Women News and reports from England's most successful women's football team European Excellence After the defeat in Barcelona in our first group stage match, we bounced back against Hoffenheim on Thursday, October 14th. A lively start from the Gunners set the tone and the dangerous Beth Mead was soon hacked down in the penalty area to give Kim Little a chance from the penalty spot. The captain made no mistake to give us the lead. On the stroke of half-time, we scored a really well-worked goal. Katie McCabe whipped in a good cross from the left, Vivian Maydema headed down and Tobin Heath swept the ball home first time. Maydema, who led the line superbly, got her goal early in the second half, bundling home after the Hoffenheim keeper found a Jordan Nobbs shot too hot to handle, and it was plain sailing for the Gunners. Hoffenheim did enjoy their moments in the second period, and Manuela Zinsberger saved well on a couple of occasions, but with five minutes left on the clock, Leah Williamson headed in a fourth from the corner. Tobin's off the mark. Tobin Heath's composed finish was her first goal for the Gunners, and the lifelong Arsenal fan was understandably thrilled to get off the mark. It felt really good to get off the mark, said the two-time World Cup winner. Obviously, with the whole team bouncing back, getting four goals today was a good response. We showed a lot of character. The quality of players here has made it fun and easy. And Jonas has brought a style that will take the club to the next level. This team is ambitious to get better and take the next step. We'll grow with each game. Beth's the best. Beth Mead was named the Women's Super League Player of the Month for September. The 26-year-old has enjoyed a superb start to the 2021-22 campaign under Jonas Eideval, registering three goals and three assists in the month, including two goals in the epic 3-2 win over defending champions Chelsea in the opening game of the season at Emirates. Her superb second, Arsenal's third, in that match will long live in the memory. Beth beat a strong group of nominees to take the award, including teammate Vivian Maydema, Aston Villa's Remy Allen, Inessa Kagman of Brighton, Chelsea duo Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby, and Tottenham's Shalina Sadorsky. And so is Jonas. New manager Jonas Eideval navigated his way through what looked like a difficult September expertly to claim the Women's Super League Manager of the Month at the very first time of asking. 
The 3-2 win over Chelsea in his first game earned plaudits, before a 4-0 win away to Reading, followed by a stunning 5-0 victory over Manchester City, confirmed the Gunners' new boss as an exciting new managerial addition to the Women's Super League. Jonas, who's already won both his Women's Super League games in October, against Aston Villa and Everton, will be hoping it's the first of many awards during his time at Arsenal. Viv makes the list. And another congratulations, this time to Viviane Maidima, who has made the list of nominees for the Ballon d'Or, the highest individual accolade in women's football. The list also includes five players from Champion League's winners and our Group C rivals Barcelona, as well as former gunner Ellen White. Barker Game moved to Emirates. We're delighted to announce that our UEFA Women's Champions League clash with Barcelona will be hosted at Emirates Stadium. The game is set to take place on Thursday, December 9th, with kick-off at 8pm. Tickets will be available from the ticketing hub from just £7.65 and it's hoped there'll be a bumper crowd to cheer on the Gunners as they take on the current champions of Europe. The Visitors, Aston Villa by Mike Hammond Formed 1874, nicknamed the Villains, owners Nazif Sawiris Wes Edens. Stadium, Villa Park, 42,095. Honours, First Division Champions times 7, FA Cup winners times 7, League Cup winners times 5, Charity Shield winners times 1, European Cup winners times 1, European Super Cup winners times 1. Aston Villa visit Emirates Stadium this Friday evening, seeking an immediate response to an excruciating home defeat by local rivals Wolves last Saturday afternoon. With ten minutes to play, Dean Smith's team were 2-0 up, and seemingly on their way to a fourth Premier League victory of the season, only to have their lead reduced, erased and in stoppage time overturned as the visitors scored three late goals to claim an astonishing 3-2 victory. If Villa's players are still reeling from that defeat six days on, it is hardly surprising. A win would have lifted them into the top half of the table, but as it is, they remain on ten points, which is the same number they had at the end of September, following a superb 1-0 victory away to Manchester United. Their first game in October was a 2-1 defeat at Tottenham. Their third away loss this term, after earlier reverses at Watford, 3-2, and Chelsea, 3-0. Villa have not enjoyed their travels south this season. It was also in London that their Carabao Cup hopes ended, as they were defeated on penalties by Chelsea at Stamford Bridge after a 1-1 draw in the third round. In contrast, Their two trips north have brought victories, 6-0 at Barrow in the second round of the Carabao Cup, and that success at Old Trafford. This is Villa's third straight season in the Premier League following their promotion as playoff winners in 2019. But it is their first without talismanic local hero Jack Grealish, sold for £100 million to Manchester City in the summer. To compensate for their former skipper's departure, 
the club spent the best part of that fee on new recruits, notably Emiliano Buendia from Norwich, Danny Ings from Southampton, and Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen. So far, life without Jack has been a mixed bag, but the quality and depth of the new-look squad suggests that Villa will not be battling for Premier League survival as they did successfully in 2019-20, finishing 17th, but rather seeking to improve on last season's final placing of 11th, with a return to European competition for the first time in over a decade also a possibility. Today, however, their sole focus will be to avoid a hat-trick of Premier League defeats. The boss, Dean Smith. Manager, born March 19, 1971 in West Bromwich. Previously, Walsall, 2011-15, Brentford, 2015-18. A journeyman pro in the lower echelons of the Football League with Walsall, Hereford and Leighton Orient, before briefly tasting second-tier high life with Sheffield Wednesday, Dean has emerged as one of the brightest English managers around. After serving Walsall dutifully for almost five years, he became Brentford boss in November 2015 and won widespread acclaim for both his team's style and substance before he returned to his native West Midlands to become Aston Villa boss in October 2018 and mastermind the famous club's return to the Premier League, their unlikely top-flight survival the following season and an impressive mid-table finish last term. 1. Between the Posts Emiliano Martinez, goalkeeper, born Mauro de Plata, Argentina, 2nd of September 1992, previously Arsenal, Oxford on loan, Sheffield Wednesday on loan, Rotherham on loan, Wolves on loan, Getafe on loan, Reading on loan. After a decade as an Arsenal player, which comprised multiple loan spells, Emi departed in September last year to join Aston Villa. He certainly left on a high, starring twice at Wembley to help the Gunners win the FA Cup and Community Shield, and he has maintained that form at Villa, starting every Premier League game last season and subsequently becoming a national hero for Argentina as he helped his country win the Copa America only a few weeks after making his debut. 5. Wearing the Armband Tyra Mings, defender, born... Bath, 13th of March 1993, previously Ipswich, Bournemouth. Having become a Villa cult hero in the second half of the 2018-19 season, following his mid-term loan move from Bournemouth, Tyrone has thrived with the West Midlanders, taking over the captaincy this season after two impressive Premier League campaigns, which saw the strapping left-footed centre-back become a regular in Gareth Southgate's England squad, including Euro 2020. The 28-year-old won his 15th cap in the recent 1-1 draw against Hungary. 7. The sharp-shooting Scott John McGinn, midfielder, born Glasgow, 18th of October 1994, previously St Mirren, Hibernian. Signed from Hibs in August 2018, John enjoyed a fabulous debut season in England with Villa, ending it with the club's Player of the Year award and also the winning goal in the Championship playoff final. The 27-year-old left-footer has continued to develop at Premier League level, 
scoring his eighth goal in the division against Wolves last weekend, and is a key player for Scotland, for whom he has found the net 11 times in 40 internationals. 6. The Boy from Brazil Douglas Lewis, midfielder, born Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 9th of May 1998. Previously, Vasco da Gama, Manchester City, Girona on loan. An exotic addition to the Villa ranks following their promotion in 2019, the brawny Brazilian holding midfielder actually joined from Manchester City, although he never played for Pep Guardiola's side, spending two seasons in Spain on loan to Girona. A mainstay in Dean Smith's Premier League first eleven, the 23-year-old had a busy summer with his country, finishing as a runner-up with the Solico in the Copa America before going on to win a gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics. 11. The goal threat won. Ollie Watkins forward, born Torquay, 30th of December 1995. Previously Exeter, Western Supermare on loan, Brentford. Ollie became Villa's record signing when he joined for £28 million in September last year. The 25-year-old Devonian, who started out in League Two with Exeter, earned the move and the price tag following a brilliant 2019-20 season with Brentford, in which he scored 25 championship goals. Reunited with former Boston Smith at Villa Park, the England international was the villain's top marksman last term. His 16 goals, including a Premier League brace in a 3-0 win here at Emirates Stadium. 20. The goal threat, 2. Danny Ings, forward, born, Winchester, 23rd of July 1992. Previously, Bournemouth, Dorchester on loan, Burnley, Liverpool, Southampton. After two outstanding seasons with Southampton, which featured 22 Premier League goals in 2019-20 and another dozen last term, Danny made Aston Villa the fourth top-flight club of his career when he joined in August for a reported £25 million fee. Capped three times by England, the 29-year-old has fought back brilliantly from terrible injury problems during an ill-fated spell at Liverpool and has scored three Premier League goals already for Villa, the third last weekend against Wolves. 4. The Rising Star Esri Consa, defender, born, Newham, 23rd of October 1997, previously, Charlton, Brentford. Since joining Villa in July 2019 from Brentford, where he briefly worked under manager Dean Smith in the Championship, Esri has become an essential component of the team's central defence, missing just two Premier League games last season and starting everyone so far this term. The consistent form of the ex-England Under-21 International and 2017 FIFA Under-20 World Cup winner has led to calls for his promotion to Gareth Southgate's senior side. 10. The new number 10, Emiliano Buendia Midfielder, born Mal del Plata, Argentina, 25th of December 1996. Previously, Getafe Cultural Leonesa, on loan, Norwich. Voted EFL Championship Player of the Season for 2020-21, in which he registered 15 goals and 16 assists in helping Norwich win promotion, 
Emiliano were snapped up by Villa in June for a club record £38 million fee. The skillful 24-year-old schemer, who played in the Premier League for the Canaries in 2019-20, has since acquired Jack Grealish's number 10 shirt and scored his first Villa goal in a 1-1 home draw with Brentford at the end of August. Scouting report by Michael Cox The big question for Aston Villa this season was how they would cope without Jack Grealish after his £100 million move to Manchester City in the summer. So far, they've done reasonably well, in part because Dean Smith has moved to a 3-5-2 system that probably wouldn't have a natural place for him. The 3-5-2 has worked particularly well because Villa can now count upon two mobile forwards capable of splitting into wide positions and working the channels well. Ollie Watkins, generally a lone striker last season, peels off towards the left and offers speed in behind the opposition. Danny Ings, not a like-for-like Grealish replacement, but effectively providing his goals and creativity, has been excellent in terms of coming short to link play and also times his runs into the box well, as he showed for his opener in the 3-2 loss to Wolves last weekend. The forwards are supported by central midfielders breaking forward, rather than playmakers positioned between the lines. Emiliano Buendia arrived in the summer to provide creativity, but has rarely started matches, although last weekend he was used from the outset, tucked into a left-centre midfield role. John McGinn had a bigger impact on the game to the right, however, crossing for Ings' opener before thumping home the second from long range. Douglas Lewis plays a steady holding role behind them, although is capable of pushing forward with McGinn briefly becoming the deepest midfielder. Jacob Ramsey has impressed this season, particularly in a defeat against Chelsea, and might come in for Buendia and break forward from deep. Marvellous Nakamba is also an option if Smith wants to add more bite to his midfield. This system has no obvious place for natural wingers, meaning Ahmed El Ghazi hasn't got off the bench in the last five matches. Leon Bailey, who made a stunning cameo appearance in a 3-0 victory over Newcastle, has suffered from injury, while Trezeguet has been out all season. The width, therefore, comes from wing-back. Matty Cash has pushed on effectively down the right flank and also offers a dangerous long throw, while left-sided Matt Target often pops up at the far post attempting to get on the end of crosses. Villa can be prone to balls played in behind the wing-backs, however. In a recent loss at Tottenham, Song Hyung Min constantly found space on the outside of the three-man defence. Versatile veteran Ashley Young can deputise for either wing-back. That backline is usually comprised of Tyrone Mings to the left, Esri Konsa to the right, and Axel Tuanzebi in the centre. Mings has made a couple of errors this season, but brings the ball forward well, while Konsa is a steady presence who has a canny habit of winning fouls at aerial challenges. Tuanzebi's passing was sloppy against Wolves last week, but generally sweeps up well. Arsenal know all about goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez, who has earned a reputation as an excellent penalty saver, in part because of his fondness for mind games.
USP, SatPiece expertise. Villa have been very effective at scoring from SatPieces this season, in part because of the arrival of SatPiece coach Austin McPhee in the summer. Villa are particularly good at getting flick-ons at corners and throws, the latter usually from Matty Cash. However, they did concede twice in the aftermath of corners last weekend in a 3-2 loss to Wolves. Match action. Premier League, Monday, October 18th, 2021. 8pm, Emirates Stadium. Arsenal 2, Crystal Palace 2. 8. Aubameyang fires us ahead after Pepe's shot is saved. 50. Benteke levels up after Partey loses possession. 73. Edouard fires home off the crossbar to give Palace the lead. 85. Tierney rattles the crossbar from close range. 95. Lacazette sweeps home a loose ball to earn a draw. Talking heads. Alexandra Lacazette. I wanted to bring a bit of energy to the team. When we know the fans in the stadium are alive and with us, it makes it hard for the opponent. Maybe because the way we were playing at that moment, they were a bit sleepy, so I wanted to bring some energy that I know they like and to change the game. Mikel Arteta. I'm not happy with the point. We started the game with the right attitude, with the right intention of being brave, being dominant, being in the opponent's half. We managed to score the goal and we were in control. Then our level dropped. We had no composure on the ball. We started to give away the ball too easily and we didn't have any sequences in our passes. We wanted to attack in one or two passes and the distances were too big. We had no control. Facts. Kieran Tierney made his 50th league appearance. Pierre-Emerick Pierre Aubameyang scored in his third successive Emirates appearance. All three of our last 90th plus minute goals have been against Palace. Supporters Voice John Ward tells us about his son, Paul, who is hoping a win tonight will be the perfect start to his 50th birthday celebrations. My son, Paul, will be 50 this weekend, a lifelong gooner who has had to endure living all his life in Chelsea. Great when we're winning, particularly cup finals, but not so good when we're not. Paul's mum and her family are Chelsea born and bred, going back a couple of generations, so no surprise that they're all Chelsea. A still voice of sanity midst all the blue noise. Louder since the Abramovich era, I started taking Paul with me to Highbury in the 70s, and he's been Chelsea's number one gooner ever since. Paul was smuggled into his first cup final in 79 via a £5 note over the turnstile. He was seven at the time, so we were among the first in and managed to bag a spot at the front of the back terrace so that he could see. After a long wait before kick-off, there were tears at Man U's equaliser, then joy unconfined at Alan Sunderland's winner. Not so good a year later, but much Wembley and indeed Cardiff joy as the years passed. A couple of embarrassments too, of course, but how nice to again beat Chelsea in 2020, albeit behind closed doors. Copenhagen was another joy, with one of Paul's favourites, Alan Smith, hammering in the winner. 1-0 to the Arsenal and one of George's finest tactical nights. 
after the 89th finale, Natch. Tonight we take on Villa, which will take Paul back to the end of the season game in 81, when the Villa took the title despite losing. Villa fans were given the clock end, resulting in the North Bank being jam-packed, one of the few times that I was genuinely scared at the crush, all the more so as I had a nine-year-old with me. We managed to find a way to the side of the terrace just in time to see Pele introduced to the crowd before kick-off. Many years have passed since, fortunately more joy than sorrow, and Paul has lived Arsenal ups and downs aplenty. After league titles and cup success enjoyed together, one trophy remained out of reach, the Champions League, which hopefully will come before Paul hits 60. We can always dream. Happy birthday, Paul. It's been a joy watching and following Arsenal over all the years with you. Thanks, son. Know an Arsenal fan whose story should be told. Perhaps they have gone to great lengths to show their support for the Gunners, battled against difficulties in their lives, or shown great compassion for others. If you think they have a story, we need to hear it. Email us at program at arsenal.co.uk. Every supporter featured will receive a unique personalised version of the Matchday programme featuring their story. Teams. Teams. For Arsenal, manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts, red and white hoop socks. 1. Ben Leno, goalkeeper. 3. Kieran Tierney. 4. Ben White. 5. Tomasz Party. 6. Gabriel. 7. Bukayo Saka. 8. Martin Odegaard. 9. Alexandre Lacazette. 10. Emile Smith-Rowe. 14. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. 15. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. 16. Rob Holding. 17. Cedric Suarez. 18. Takahiro Tomiyasu. 19. Nicolas Pepe. 20. Nuno Tavares. 21. Callum Chambers. 22. Pablo Mari. 23. Albert Sambi Lokonga. 25. Mohamed Elneny. 26. Follerin Balogun. 30. Edian Kitia. 31. Seat Kalasinak. 32. Aaron Ramsdale, goalkeeper. 33. Arthur Okonkwo, goalkeeper. 34. Granit Xhaka. 35. Gabriel Martinelli. For Aston Villa, head coach Dean Smith. Navy shirts with blue trim, navy shorts and socks. 1. Emiliano Martinez, goalkeeper. 2. Matty Cash. 3. 3. Matt Target. 4. Esri Consa. 5. Tyrone Mings. 6. Douglas Lewis. 7. John McGinn. 8. Morgan Sanson. 10. Emiliano Buendia. 11. Ollie Watkins. 12. Jed Steer. 15. Bertrand Triori. 16. Axel Tuanzebe. 17. Mahmoud Trezeguet. 18. Ashley Young. 19. Marvellous Nakamba. 20. Danny Ings. 21. Anwar El Ghazi. 30. Courtney Howes. 
31. Leon Bailey. 32. Jaden Philogene Bidache. 33. Kane Chukwumeka. 35. Cameron Archer. 38. Vilyami Sinisalo, goalkeeper. 39. Keenan Davis. 41. Jacob Ramsey. Referee Craig Pawson. Assistant referees Richard West, Dan Robotham. Fourth official Michael Salisbury. VAR official Michael Oliver. Additional VAR official Peter Kirkup. The Arsenal Foundation. Helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. No room for racism. Emirates. Arsenal official partner. Travel with peace of mind. Fly better. There's no hiding our smiles, even with our masks on. Some things may have changed, but our warm welcome is still the same. Fly with us to your next destination with peace of mind, knowing our highly trained cabin crew are there to look after your comfort and safety all the way. Fly safer with Emirates. Adidas.com slash Arsenal. 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 Where we belong. No room for racism anywhere. Arsenal and the rest of the Premier League will not tolerate racism anywhere and we are taking action to combat all forms of discrimination. But we can all do more. Challenge it, report it, change it, and together we can make a positive impact. Visit premierleague.com forward slash no room for racism to find out more. Hashtag no room for racism. Challenge it, report it, change it. Premier League, Arsenal. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.